Our gospel reading comes from the book of John, 21st chapter. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've been around kids at all, then you already know that chaos just seems to follow them around, permeating everything. Chaos is seemingly constant, whether it's getting up and ready for school in the morning or trying to sit down to dinner with them or doing homework, there is always some type of confusion, some type of lack of order when kids are involved. 
Sadly, the same is true when we read the news each day. Chaos is seemingly constant. All we seem to hear about are stories of refugees seeking asylum, suicide bombings in airports and train stations, and human trafficking in our own backyard. Lives are turned upside down. Chaos is rampant. People are bewildered, searching for answers, for peace, for anything that will give them a sense of stability and of order. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples' lives were thrown into utter chaos. They didn't know what to do or what to think. They didn't know what to believe even though they had witnessed the resurrection. They had seen the empty tomb. They had been with the resurrected Jesus, but their faith had been shaken, shaken to the very core. They were confused, overwhelmed. Some of them may have even begun to despair, to wonder what the last three years of their lives had been for. So, they reverted back to what they knew best, fishing. This is a totally normal human thing to do. They were grieving, and I bet some of us here can relate. Whenever we're overwhelmed, we want to go to a familiar place, do a familiar thing, listen to a familiar song. It grounds us and helps us to center ourselves, helps us to feel comforted and at peace. I think the same is true for the disciples, the unimaginable had happened. They had watched their friend, their teacher, their Lord. They had seen him be arrested and tried and crucified and buried. And three days later, he came back from the dead and appeared to them twice. They were grieving and overwhelmed after all of these experiences, and I bet they're probably pretty freaked out on top of everything. I think anyone would have been. They were searching for something familiar, grasping for stability, yearning for comfort. When I lost my dad at age 19, I did the same thing that the disciples did. I went back to what I knew best, music. The weekend of his funeral, I spent hours just listening to music. And right after the funeral, I went right back to class and threw myself into schoolwork. I wanted to get back to normal as soon as I could. I get where Peter is coming from. That kind of loss, losing someone or something so important to you, it can be debilitating, and it can make us grasp at anything that seems stable. Peter wanted stability, and for him, fishing was it. It's the same thing for the elderly couple finally coming to terms with the fact that they can't stay in their home any longer. Their lives are being turned upside down, and they want to take every single piece of their cherished furniture with them to make the new place feel like home, but there just simply isn't enough room in that new tiny little apartment to take it with them. Or the college freshman, away from a home for the first time, insisting on taking her favorite high school sweatshirt or sweater and calling home every night just to hear a familiar voice, even if it is her annoying little brother. What isn't understood in these times of loss is that normal 
is never going to be normal again. Jesus had them throw the net over to the other side of the boat. I wonder what the disciples must have been thinking. They had been out there all night with nothing to show for it, and here's this random guy calling to them from the shore, asking, hey, did you have any fish? I mean, these guys were professional fishermen. This wasn't their first rodeo. I imagine they had already thought to put the net on the other side of the boat, but maybe not. The thing is, they're fishing in the same spot. I wonder how often we do that in our lives. You know, do normal things and keep on fishing in that same spot expecting to catch fish. How many times do we do the same thing over and over again trying to get back to what normal is? How many times do we do the same thing over and over expecting a different result? How often do we do this in our life or in the church? How often do we do the same ministry, the same program, the same event over and over expecting something different to happen? I think most of us like change. I mean, we like about 95% of change. It's just that pesky last 5% that gets us. What is it about the last 5%? Maybe it's because 95% of change still feels normal, and that last 5% pushes us over the edge into the unknown, the new normal, if you will. And that scares the bejesus out of us. We'd rather have a known normal than an unknown new normal, wouldn't we? We'd rather have the predictable, the comfortable, the known. Maybe some of us, when we face change, we first want to make a five-year plan and have it all sorted out before we decide to take the plunge. The thing is, if we settle for the current normal and never step into that new normal, that last 5% of change, we'll never know the amazing things that God has in store for us. We'll just never know. But God knows, and Jesus knows, and Jesus won't let us settle for the current normal. He continues to pursue us, he continues to come to us, just like he did the disciples. Jesus wants us to plunge into that last 5%, but once we get there, he won't let us stay there either. He keeps on wanting us to go deeper and deeper into that last 5% because life with Jesus isn't static. It's fluid and ever-changing. We have to trust him, to trust that he knows what he's doing and trust that he'll provide for us when we step into the unknown. Remember, Jesus was already there on the beach with the fish cooking and the bread cooking over the fire. When the disciples finally realized it was Jesus, it was Peter that acted first. He put on some clothes and jumped into the water. And Peter and Jesus have a conversation over the fish and the bread that Jesus has already provided. And in this conversation, Jesus offers Peter love and grace 
and forgiveness. Jesus doesn't remind Peter of his past mistakes. He doesn't start out by saying, hey, you remember that time where you denied me? He didn't say that at all. Jesus didn't give him a guilt trip. Jesus gave him responsibility. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Jesus still chose Peter, even though he had denied that he even knew Jesus, not once, but three times. Jesus doesn't need Peter to spread the gospel, but he chose to use him anyway. Imperfect and flawed, Jesus chose Peter. Jesus chooses us too. And Jesus doesn't remind us of our past mistakes. Jesus doesn't give us a guilt trip. And Jesus gives us responsibility. Jesus doesn't need us, but he wants us. Imperfect and flawed, he wants us. Jesus doesn't want perfect. He wants us as we are right here, right now. As you are sitting here in the pew listening to me, Jesus wants you. Not the you you think you want to be, the you that is sitting here right now. The you that is maybe hard for even you to like or accept. The you that is perhaps always making mistakes, always running late, always falling behind, always yelling at somebody. Yes, that, that you. Jesus wants that you. The imperfect you, the flawed you. Jesus wants to use that you, just like he used Peter. Peter was by far imperfect, and we know that from other places in the Bible where he screwed up. He was impatient, he was rash, he was impetuous, but Jesus still wanted him, still loved him, still used him for great things, still used him to spread the good news of the gospel of love and grace, forgiveness and belonging. Jesus wants you. Jesus loves you. And he wants to use you for great things. And he wants to use you to spread the gospel of good news of love and grace and forgiveness and belonging. Flawed and imperfect as we are. And in our imperfections and flaws, Jesus provides for us. All we need to do is show up. Jesus provides Jesus already had the fish cooking when the disciples got to the shore. I mean, where did the fish come from? Well, they came from Jesus. We are so used to going fishing, catching the fish, pulling in the net, cleaning the fish, cooking it up over the fire, and then saying, oh, hey, Jesus, you want to come and have something to eat? But Jesus doesn't need us to do that. We don't need to do all of that work all of that exhausting work of getting everything ready and then inviting Jesus to come, we just need to show up, and Jesus will take care of the rest of it. What would that be like if we simply just showed up 
trusting that Jesus would provide, would, would take care of it? What would life be like? What would the church be like? What would the world be like? What would we be like? Amen.